All right, we have been uh, working on a series called uh, Your Purpose and Calling over the last number of weeks, and uh, I'll do today and the next week, and then we'll uh, move towards a more Christmas theme as we head towards uh, Christmas time. And um, so before we begin, let's just again pray. Father, we pray your Holy Spirit uh, right now uh, through this time would continue to speak to our hearts. And God, in our own way, we just take time to to open our heart and our lives uh, to hear your voice. Every single person in this room has a, a purpose. Uh, it's not one of you here who has been designed in such a way where there's uh, no purpose or a calling upon your life. Uh, God has designed us each uniquely and has designed us powerfully and designed us in a way that we look different from other people, but that's, that's a good thing because there's a calling and purpose for our life that might look different than the lives of other people around us. Uh, we've uh, looked at this text, Ephesians chapter 2, which says, for we are God's masterpiece, or you could translate, oh, uh, we are God's poem, or we are God's handiwork, um, we are God's uh, goodness in creation. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. And I don't know about you, but I do that, and you know, I'll... I'll Look at uh, someone and say, you know, you know, I, you know, I wish I was like that, or you know, I wish I was more created that way. But uh, the reality is, God has created us unlike others because there's a specific reason and calling that fits us that doesn't fit that person around us. So we all have a calling. So we've 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 covered that. Took looked at. Uh, very, hey, Michael, could you just pull down the slider a little bit? The uh, overall volume, just a tad. Yeah, thank you. Um, so three uses of the idea of calling in the Bible. Uh, first of all, we've got the idea of calling of salvation, uh, that God is calling us into relationship, that part of your purpose and calling is to, to be in relationship with God, in a close, deep, intimate relationship with, with God. This is part of the calling on your life, and this is the foundation. And then we have a general calling, which we talked about, which is God's calling for you to love and serve the people around you. Uh, that even if you don't know what uh, the specific call is on your life, um, we, we know what to do. We, we love and serve people around us. You may not know exactly what your career is or, you know, the exact wiring for this small little hole that you fit in, but we're all called just to love and serve. And so if you see one uh, person around you at work or here or at school who needs to be loved and served, uh, we love and serve. That's just our general calling. And then we have a specific calling. God's called to use your specific giftings or personality or skill set to love and serve people. This is a calling that is upon your life, which looks different probably than someone else's life. And so there'll be a specific calling on your life. As, as the Bible says, we each, we, each of us have been gifted in different ways. Uh, we each have different personalities. We have different strengths and weaknesses. And God uses the uniqueness of our life for a specific calling and purpose. And uh, sometimes we can get really stressed out trying to find our specific call 
uh, sometimes young people get stressed out. I got I to gotta find the calling, my calling, or I, you know, I got to find the right job, or you know, I got to find the right spot to serve in the church or in the community. And we talk about not getting too stressed out about that. Because most of the time, you don't have to go looking for your calling, your specific calling, because most of the time, your specific calling actually finds you. For most of the people, and most of the time you see it in the scripture, people are just living out their general calling. They're just loving and serving people. They're just taking the opportunities that, that come their way. And all of a sudden, their calling you know, comes and smacks them on the back of their head. And all of a sudden, their calling finds them. And, uh, and we spoke, uh, spoke briefly about some of the ways that happens. And, and one of the ways that can happen, that your calling can find you, is through uh, what sometimes Christians call a holy discontent. A holy discontent. And that is an aspect of this broken world and you see it, touch it, get near it, it grabs your heart. It is a heart's cry that matches God's heart cry that says things should, uh, just should not be this way. It is an issue that is calling you off the couch and into action. It's something that you see in this world that is maybe broken or it's not kingdom or it's not the way it should be. And you're, in your heart, you're just saying this is not the way it should be. This needs to be more kingdom, there needs to be more love, there needs to be more generosity, this is not the way it should be, and it's something that grabs your heart that actually might cause you a little bit of anger or discomfort, it's, but it's a holy thing. It's something that God has placed in your heart because he is wanting you uh, to actually do something about it. And so we looked at uh, the story of Nehemiah, who was one person who was an example of the holy discontent, where... Uh, uh, Jerusalem had been destroyed in about 587 BC, and, and about 70 years plus later, there's this guy named Nehemiah who is serving the king in Persia, and uh, he has some buddies who come, and he, they, they tell Nehemiah about the state of Jerusalem, and by that time, the temple had been uh, rebuilt, but the walls had still been, uh, had never been rebuilt, and the spiritual condition in Jerusalem was horrible, the people were not doing well. And Nehemiah's friends, and come, they come and tell Nehemiah about what is happening in Jerusalem, and all of a sudden he gets this holy discontent. And, and it says in Nehemiah chapter 1, they said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem have been torn down, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Now Nehemiah says, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. I mean, this gripped his heart. It was a holy discontent. It was something that he heard, and he said, this is just not the way it should be. This is not kingdom. Things need to be different. Is there something in your life like that? Is there something in this world that you look at, and it just causes your heart to be stirred? It causes you to have a, you know, maybe a bit of anger, or you just say, you know, things should be better. And of course, this could be a million different things. It could be something you see within the church. It could be something you see outside the church. It could be in your school. It could be in the business world. I mean, uh, you know, maybe, you know, you're just like, you know, I'm tired of poor customer service, and, I, and I'm going to make my business a place where people walk in and they get a sense of the kingdom, or, you know, uh, uh, you know there are people who have a holy discontent over, you know, uh, nonprofits being underfunded, and so they, I'm going to do the best I can in the business world to fund nonprofits, or it could be when you walk into the church and you're like, you know, this place needs to be more encouraging, and, 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 and just a holy discontent, and it's God calling you to do something. 
whether it's about poverty or brokenness or whatever it is inside, outside the church, in school, business world, God will deposit a holy discontent and this will often be your specific calling knocking at your door. I mean, is there something that stirs your heart? And if you haven't found that yet, then then just continue in your general calling. Just love and serve people. And eventually, this this thing is going to impact you. And so it could be a a lot of different things. Now, what we want to talk about today is the idea of uh, just because you have a holy discontent doesn't mean you should necessarily jump on fixing that issue right away. There is this thing in the kingdom called God's timing, uh, about God's timing. And Nehemiah did not immediately, when he heard this news, he didn't immediately pack his bags and head for Jerusalem to go fix it. Uh, In fact, he spends a number of months praying and thinking and and planning and asking God and and waiting on God's timing. The Bible tells us, or or here's the example in Nehemiah, in Nehemiah 1 it says in late autumn, this is when he first hears the news, and it wasn't until the following spring that he actually sets his plan into motion. So even though you, you may see something that grabs your heart, and you're like, this is not the way it should be. You know, I want God to intervene. I'm going to work with God on this issue. Does not necessarily mean you should jump on it right away. Now, if God is leading you in that direction, then do it. But if he's not, then you need to hold on. Uh, the Bible tells us that we are to keep in step with the Spirit. When the Spirit moves, we move. When the Spirit says no, we, we hold off. In Galatians 5, it says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And so, if the Holy Spirit begins to move, (laughs) then we move along with Him. If the Holy Spirit just says, stay, then then we stay. And sometimes, because of our own selfish ambition or our own pride or whatever, we can want to push ahead of the Spirit, but we want to be people who keep in step with the Spirit. Or as the New Living Translation puts it, Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So we don't want to rush ahead of the Spirit. We don't want to lag behind the Spirit. We want to keep in step with the Spirit as as we uh, live out our lives. Uh, There's a beautiful picture of this in Numbers 9. Uh, This is the Old Testament, the Israelites. And it says, on the day the tabernacle was set up, that was kind of their worship building, the cloud covered it, and the cloud was, was the, the symbol of the presence of God. But from evening until morning, the cloud over the tabernacle looked look like a pillar of fire. So in the day, the presence of God looked like a cloud. At night, the presence of God looked like a pillar of fire. The, this was the regular pattern. At night, the cloud that covered the tabernacle had the appearance of fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from over the sacred tent, the people of Israel would break camp and follow it. And whenever the cloud settled the people of Israel would set up camp. So when they saw the cloud, the presence of God move, they they followed the presence of God, and when it stopped, they stopped. They kept in step with the Spirit. In fact, I actually think that this this text here is actually a word for for somebody here, uh, to to stay in step with the Spirit. As, As God's presence moves, you move. As God's presence stays, you stay. And this is what our life is actually supposed to be. And so when it comes to uh, this, this, this calling that God has in our life, if you feel God pulling you, then you follow. But if he says not yet, then, then we actually need to, to hold off and, and wait. And uh, throughout the scriptures, we see that there might be some ideas why God actually wants you to wait before you jump into your specific calling. Uh, maybe a character issue. 
That is, are there things that God is wanting to do in you before you set out? It might be a timing issue. Is it the right time? And a confirmation issue is, is this actually a God thing or is this just my own thing? And so in our, in our last uh, time here, we want to just look at these, these three points. So first of all, idea of character. Uh, sometimes it's the right calling, but God is saying hold off because there's some character stuff that, that he wants you to, to work in and, and through. Are there things that God is wanting to do in you before you, before you, you set out? Uh, I don't know if you remember Star Wars. You remember uh, when uh, Luke is with Yoda in the swamp and they're doing training. And, uh, and Luke is like, uh, you know, I, I'm going to go, I'm going to go help my friends. And uh, Yoda says, you know, Luke, you must complete the training or however. That's a pretty bad Yoda voice, I guess. But <laughs> and uh, Luke is like, no, I got to go. I got to go rescue my friends. And then, and, then, and then Yoda says, you know, decide you must uh, how to serve them. He gets not the accent. Uh, how to serve them best. If you leave them now, help them, you could. But you would destroy all for which they have fought for and suffered, you know. He says, you know, don't go else. Everything's going to crash. Now, if you know the story, Luke still goes and things work out okay. Uh, but that, that's Star Wars world, and Yoda's not God. He doesn't know, he doesn't have a perfect picture of the future, but in our world, God does have a perfect picture of the future, and sometimes God looks at us, and he says, Jesse, you're not done your training, <laughs> or whatever your name is, you know. Uh, you're not ready yet. Uh, your character is not fully formed. Your character is not strong enough to hold what, what God is about to give you, and, uh, and we know that there are countless stories who people have rushed ahead of their character and have, you know, caused great messes, you know, uh, have fallen into moral failure or have, you know, ruined, you know, the faith of their followers or have gotten all about their own pride and ambition and trying to make a name for themselves and, and everything collapses. We need to make sure our character is ready for our calling. In fact, um, Robert Clinton, he, he's, uh, he writes on leadership. He he studies leaders who have done well in their callings, and he basically says leaders who do well have basically uh, six kind of phases of their life or of their growth as a leader. But he says most people don't make it past phase three. And most leaders, most people in ministry or engaged in their calling don't actually make it past stage three. And he says the reason is, is because they're not allowing God to develop their character. They're trying to rush ahead of the character work that is going on in their heart. And so character is really, really important. Uh, that none of us should ever despise the days of small things. Because that is where our character is developed. Uh, it's when we're just in our general calling of loving and serving people in the background and, and doing those small things that it develops our character and helps us get our pride in check and to learn to live in humility. And, and, and so don't despise the days of small things because sometimes God will say, you've got to develop your character before you, you step out. Uh, similarly is the idea of God's timing. Timing could be a character issue, but it could be a host of other things. It could be just what God is doing in the world, it's the right calling, but not the right timing. And of course, we know the story of Moses. You know, Moses um, had the right calling, but he had the wrong timing, if you read the story, at least when he first started. You remember when Moses was, was younger, and he had grown up in the palace, and it says that one day he went out to where his own people were, and he watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. 
And, uh, and so he looks out and he sees his people being treated as slaves and, and, and it's horrible, horrible way of life. And, so, and he begins to realize these are my own people and he gets a holy discontent. This is not kingdom. This is not the way the world should be. And he's like, I got to do something about it, which we'll see is the right calling, but he had the wrong timing. And he jumps in it too quickly. It says, looking this way and that, see no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in, in, in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. And when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. I mean, his people didn't respect him. Pharaoh wanted to kill him. It just went bad. Right calling, but he jumped out too quickly. And we know the story. He goes off into Midian. He spends 40 years. Right calling, but had the wrong timing. 40 years of just, just serving his father-in-law and his farm and, and his sheep. And, you know, one day he, he comes across this burning bush and all of a sudden he gets his calling back and God says, now it's time. But later on, in Numbers chapter 12, it actually says, Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. You see, Moses had to leave thousands and thousands of people. He had, to, he had to lead a huge crew of people in very difficult situations. He needed to be a leader, and he had to be a leader who had the right character. And that was developed just living in Midian, for, you know, just loving and serving his general calling before God says, now it's time. And so sometimes we might have the right calling in our lives, but it's not the right timing. So again, you need to keep in step with the Spirit. Keep checking in with the Father. Father, is it time? Is it time? Uh, maybe you could start small. He might start you out small and build you up. But again, you don't want to go ahead of God. You don't want to go behind God. You want to keep in step with the Spirit. And often, like Moses, our present circumstances are often preparing us for a calling that's coming in the future. I guess sometimes we can despise the days of small things. Maybe, maybe you, you feel you have a calling to, to lead a company and you're stuck doing mail or something like that. And and you're just like, you know, this is horrible, I hate this. And, but maybe your present circumstances are actually preparing you for your future calling. Because it's in the mail room where you learn to be humble. It's in the mail room where you learn to serve. It's in the mail room where you begin to think about others rather than yourselves. And those character issues are so important when God brings you to higher and higher callings in, in, your, uh, in your own life. So again, don't despise the days of small things. I mean... You know, I started in the nursery just serving kids and, you know, having a great old time. Went to Sunday school and made a mess because I couldn't control the kids. And, uh, I mean, <laughs> I still can't control the kids because I just feed them candy. Yeah. <laughs> now, sometimes people ask this, you know, you know what if I waited too long? What if, what if instead of rushing ahead, I was, like, lagging way behind? And, you know, I was just like, you know, I'm going to do my own thing. And, uh, and, and maybe you felt you had a call on your heart when you were younger, and you felt God gave you a holy discontent, and you just kind of ignored it, and you pushed it away, and you just did your own thing. I mean, is it too late? Because the reality is, you can rush ahead, but you can actually lag behind and, and miss God's plan for you. This is what happened to the Pharisees. 
says the Pharisees and the experts in the law, they rejected God's purpose for themselves. I mean, you can take the giftings and the way God created you, and you can take those things and go, ha-ha, I can use them for my own self, and, and you reject God's plan for you. But you know, God is unique in the way. He, he, he operates more like a, like a GPS, like when you get off track, he always gets you back. And I don't know about you, but I use a GPS in my phone when I go to the city, and I still always mess up. But, you know, I never see my, my GPS going, ah, it's over, you know. Just calmly says, redirecting, you know, take this route, and it gets you back. Uh, and I've learned not to freak out, too, because uh, with a map, when you got lost, you're like, God, I don't even know where I am. But when you have a GPS, it's like, it's all good. I'll get there, you know, I'll just do, it'll take me back. And, and this is the way God is. I mean, maybe something in years ago where you just pushed back the call of God and you said, it's not time, I want to live for myself. But God is like a GPS. Whenever you're ready, he's going to say, you know, do you want to get back on track? And just again, stay in step with the Spirit and he'll bring you back to that spot where you're lined up once again with God's calling. Now, lastly, we want to talk about confirmation. Uh, God's calling in our life, um, is it actually God? Uh, because sometimes... It's just a good idea. There's a difference between a good idea and, and, and God's idea, and I think all of us know what that's like. I've had lots of great ideas that were not God's ideas, and it doesn't take long to find out when there are your own ideas because, I mean, the Bible says in John 15, 5, without him, we can do nothing. It just doesn't seem to work out so well. And so uh, is, this, is this God's plan? Or maybe we need confirmation in terms of is this God's timing? Maybe it's the right calling, but like when? When do I set out? Or is this idea even God's? Because often God will ask us to do things that are actually quite risky. Uh, sometimes he'll ask us to do things that require a great change in our life. Um, and, and those things, because they're very risky, we're like, God, is this you or not? I, I just don't know because this is a huge risk. Now, the higher the risk of God's call, uh, the more confirmation you tend to need. Um, I mean... I think it was just a few years ago, there was someone who came to this church who was telling me a story about their parents who uh, really felt God's call to uh, invest in this business deal. And, and they, were, they, they thought it was God, and, they were, and so they invested all their money into this business deal, and the whole thing collapsed. They, lo they lost everything. And this young fellow was actually quite bitter against God. You know, you know God, why? You know, you know, my parents thought it was God, it wasn't, and um, but who knows, maybe Satan got in there, but maybe it was just a good idea and not God's idea. Because something when it grabs our emotions, sometimes it can be difficult to separate that from God and, and me. And so this is sometimes where you need confirmation. God, would you confirm that this is you? Now, some Christians will say asking God for confirmation is not a good thing. Some will say it's a lack of faith. Uh, but when you see the scriptures, it seems that God is often very generous in giving confirmation. I mean, you read the story of Jesus and the disciples. Very often, Jesus and the disciples would confirm what they were saying through signs and wonders. That God would confirm what they were saying was true through a sign and wonder. And God does that at times. And we are trying to say, God, is this you or is this me? Would you confirm that this is you? That God will often give us confirmation. We see this in Moses. I mean, when God showed up into Moses' life and said, you're going to go deliver the people of Israel, that was super risky. And you're dealing with the most powerful empire in the world, 
and he's going to walk in there and, you know, his low, lonely shepherd self and bring the people out. I mean, talk about risk. He needed confirmation. And Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is, uh, what is that in your hand? And Moses says, it's a staff. Lord said, throw it on the ground. And Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake. And uh, Moses freaked out and ran away from it. But that's confirmation. I mean, Moses, got, Moses is like, oh, this is really risky. I mean, how can I trust you? And, and God says, here's, here's the confirmation. Throw your stick down. It turns into a snake. It's like, boop, that don't happen every day. Seems like a God thing, right? But he still has to go and do it. I mean, he still has to step out in faith and, and still has to do this risky thing. And next week, we're going to talk about risk and faith. Um, but the other classic story, of course, is Gideon, the story of Gideon. Uh, the story of Gideon found in Judges 6 and 7 is uh, Gideon, this guy. Uh, his people were being oppressed by the Midianites, and, um, and uh, the, the Israelites were, were in deep trouble. And God shows up to Gideon and says, Gideon, I'm going to work with you, and, and we're going to fix this. But Gideon realizes he's just a weak kind of nobody. I mean, Gideon actually says, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. I am the least in my entire family. But the Lord says to him, I will be with you. You know, sometimes we're afraid of stepping into God's calling because we just think we're a nobody. Uh, we think maybe we're not gifted. We, we think we're weak. You know, God tends to like those kind of people because uh, God tends to get more glory. Um, he actually doesn't choose the pow most powerful warrior in Israel of the day. He chooses this guy named Gideon because God sees something in him that Gideon did not see in himself. And so if you're here and you're like, I just, I'm just weak, my family's a mess, and I don't know what I could do in this world, I don't think I could make a difference, God is probably knocking at your door saying, hey, you're a perfect candidate. In fact, he's looking at you and saying, you, actually, you are a hero. You're a hero. Because that's what <laughs> God says to, uh, to, uh, to Gideon. says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. That's, that's God's address uh, to Gideon mighty hero. And Gideon's like, I'm just so horrible. I'm so weak and I can't do anything. And God's like, you're a mighty hero. Because when we open up our heart to God and God works in us, man, it's amazing what God can do through us. I mean, you're a mighty hero. That's how God sees you. Uh, God wants to use you to make a difference in this world. And, and he looks at him, you know, mighty, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And, and where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites? You can see the holy discontent right there, can't you? He's mad. You know, this is not the way it should be, and God, where are you? And, and again, that's often a sign that God's saying, Gideon, you're the right guy, because you have a holy discontent. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. Now, again, he saw himself as weak, but he's partnering with God. And this is the thing about God, that God wants to partner with you in making a difference in this world. When God is in partnership, that means there's stuff for you to do, and there's stuff for God to do, which means from your perspective, it's going to look impossible. Again, God wants to partner with you, and there's stuff for you to do, and there's stuff for God to do. So from your human perspective, it's going to look impossible, because if it didn't look impossible, then you could do it all. But God wants to partner with you. And he's the God of the miraculous. 
So often when God calls us into something, it is going to be like, God, if you don't come through, it's gonna, not going to work. <laughs> uh, God, if you don't come through, it's going to be a mess. God, I don't know, this is, this is beyond me exactly. Because God is partnering with you. And look who's asking. He's the God of the, the miraculous. So he's sending Gideon. now. But this is risky. Again, this is a huge risk. So now Gideon begins to ask for confirmation. And notice in the story that God never rebukes him. In fact, we're going to see that God generous, generously offers even more than Gideon asks. So first of all, we see Gideon replied, Now, if I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that this is really you talking to me and not just the pizza I ate last night. You know, I need a sign that this is you. <laughs> Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. So he goes and gets his little meat. And then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand, fire flared up from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. So all of a sudden, <laughs> the meat explodes, just, just the way I barbecue, you know? <laughs> and uh, that's a sign from God. <laughs> but he still is like, man, this is so really risky. Thank you for that sign, God. But man, I don't, is, is this really you? Because this is really risky. You know what that feeling is like? And so the story goes on. And so Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece and all the uh, ground uh, is dry, then I know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water, yet all the ground is dry. Like I said, like this, this is a miracle. That just doesn't happen every day. Um, this is the second sign, the second confirmation. But then Gideon asks again. <laughs> then Gideon said to God, don't be angry with me. And guess what? God's not. No one in this passage does God get angry. No one says, oh, dare you. And, you know, he's not angry at all. He just says, let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time, make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry, all the ground was covered with dew. And so this is the third confirmation that Gideon gets because this is a risky thing. And, uh, and, and it, it seems like Gideon's ready to go. He gets his army, and then if you read the story, it's kind of fascinating. God takes most of his army away um, because, again, God always wants his part, and his part's always the miracle part. So when God asks you to do something, there's always going to be something that looks impossible. There's going to be a miracle part because you're partnering with him. So God removed most of his army. He's got this tiny army, but Gideon still seems ready to go. He's, Gideon still seems to have faith, but on top of these three, God, on his own initiative, gives Gideon another confirmation. If God was like, I hate confirmations, you just step out in faith. You don't need confirmations, then God would have never have done this. He, he gives him three and actually generously gives him four. And if you read the story, later on, there's another confirmation. During that night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up and go down against the camp because I'm going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterwards, you'll be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura and his servant went down to the outpost of the camp. Gideon arrived just as the man was telling a friend, this is the enemy camp, I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. And his friend responded, this can uh, be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. 
God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hand. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down in worship. So he receives this another confirmation that God generously given, gave. Now, even with after all those confirmations, Gideon still had to do it. There's always still going to be a radical step of faith, a radical step where it's going to be a lot of risk. Because again, when you're partnering with God, there's your part, which is you can handle. And there's always the God part, which you can't handle and looks impossible. But that's the way God works. And so if you're wondering about your calling, is it time or is this actually God? And if it's really risky, ask God for confirmation. I mean, if it's not risky, you can just go try it because there's not much risk to it. I mean, uh, we should do that. I mean, if you just hear a small voice, you know, that's, that's not very risky, just go and do it. But if it's like you got to move or you got to sell all your possessions or you're, you know, sending you to the mission field somewhere or something major, then you want to make sure you get confirmation. And there's a lot of ways God can do that. You look through the scripture, we just hear stories of people. Uh, sometimes it's repetition. You keep hearing the same thing from God every day. God just keeps speaking to you the same thing, repetition. You keep seeing the same kind of scripture. You keep seeing the same thing. Uh, repetition might be. might be a miracle, uh, like a burning bush or, you know, a fleece or whatever it might be. It might be inner peace, that even though this thing that God is calling to you to looks super scary and risky, you just, for some reason, you, ha you just have this peace. You're like, this is really scary. But I have peace. That's the peace of God. When you know when God is working, when there's peace in your heart. Uh, it might be scripture. Uh, you just keep coming across the same kind of theme or a scripture jumps out at you as God confirming this in your life. Uh, it might be godly counsel. Um, you don't just go to anybody. You go to people who you know who are walking with Jesus and keeping in step with the Spirit and, and get them to pray with you. And, and sometimes through godly counsel, they, they begin to hear the same thing and say, you know, I really do feel that this is God. Uh, it might be through an event or circumstance. Um, you come across something, uh, you know, uh, an open door. I mean, it could be a host of other things because God doesn't tend to do things the same way. I mean, you read through the Gospels, huh, Jesus didn't seem to heal the same person the same way. I mean, he always used different techniques, and so God will show up in our lives in different ways. But look for that confirmation if you're trying to figure out if it's God's time um, or if it's a God thing. Here we're Richard uh, Blackaby, and this is just what we're going to talk about next week. Some people believe God will never ask them to do them to undertake anything that seems impossible. They believe God will never lead a church to attempt something they cannot afford, ask someone to do something outside their giftedness, or lead someone to do something that they are afraid of doing. Yet if people are going to see God at work, they must witness more than just sincere Christians doing the best they can. They must see God at work in Christian lives. God, when he is calling us, will often ask us to do things that we cannot fully do ourselves. Because he's a relational God. And uh, when my kids were young, and still now sometimes I do stuff with my kids, then the stuff that my kid can do, but there's stuff that I can do because I'm older and have more technique or ability or whatever it might be. And God's the same way with us. He says, let's go on an adventure. I got a kingdom activity to do. Let's do this. And you look at it and go like, that's impossible. But God says, well, I'm with you. And I'm the God of the impossible. And we're going to partner together so that, yeah, there's stuff that you can do, but then there's stuff that I can do. And so this will always mean, even if we have confirmation, that we got to take a step of faith. We need to, we need to risk. And next week, we're going to talk all about that. So, Father, we...
uh, thank you for your calling on our lives. We thank you, Father, that you call us into relationship with you. And Father, we thank you for the uh, tremendous love that you have for us. And God, we thank you that you've washed us clean of our sin. And God, I thank you that you have a purpose and a plan for our lives. And, and so God, I pray that you would uh, continue to lead us. And most of all, that you would help us to keep in step with your spirit. God, that if your spirit is saying go, that we would go. If your spirit is saying stay, that we would stay. That we would not go ahead, that we would not go behind, that we would be listening to you. And God, we just thank you so much for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.